0: If you are facing divorce, you may be facing one of the most common fears, and that is financial stability. It's not unusual for people to wonder after we divide up all the assets, how in the world are they gonna make it work? This can be especially true if you were not the primary income earner in your marriage. The good news is that for most families, there is a way to make it work. My guest here today is Christy Gamal, and she's dedicated the past 26 years of her professional career helping people find a way to balance the assets and liabilities and to make it work. Christy is a certified divorce financial analyst, and she's also a principal with CBG Wealth Management. She's here today to talk with us about what people need to know when it comes to finances and divorce. Christy, thank you so much for taking time to be here. Jennifer, thank you for having me on the Jennifer Horvath Show. (laughs) My pleasure. As we start um, our conversation today, I just want to ask you in your experience, what really is the most common concern or worry that people
1: have about their finances in a divorce context? I will say that that the universal concern that people have is overcoming their fear. They're paralyzed by their financial fear. There's fear of not only the relationship that has crumbled after 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, even 50 years we've seen in today's great divorces that um, have arisen the past decade plus, Uh, is overcoming their financial fear and everyone has it. I haven't had a client that is uber wealthy that hasn't had it to a client who has come in and maybe not has so much. And so, for example, you may have a high income earning or high wage earning spouse and they've accumulated wealth over the years and the less financially sophisticated party or the stay-at-home spouse is so fearful that they don't know how much money they have. They don't know what it means. They don't know how to put it all together. They've never handled the bills or the investments and they're, they're they're shameful oftentimes unnecessarily but it is how they feel we really try to understand the clients and help them through that um, and understand what is their specific fear so that spouse is concerned that not only are they going to be able to maintain the current lifestyle or provide for the kids they're sometimes fearful that they may have to go back to work and they've been out of the workforce for a very long time decades if they ever went into it to begin with so how am I going to make it? Um, there's the, the flip side of that where you do have the, the person who was making the money may feel that they earned all of the retirement savings, that they earned all of the stock options. And, and there's fear of letting go. There's fear of sharing because they feel it's all theirs. There's also fear of liquidity. If you've got a real estate developer who may have you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in investment properties, they may not be liquid to divide the assets and pay off the other spouse. So there's fear of how am I going to make this work even when people want to work together? Um, there's also a money shame that comes into play for, for feeling ignorant. I can't tell you how many times a client comes into my office scared to death and they may have more than enough, and then I help them define what that is, but literally scared that they, they don't have enough and they have money shamed that they should have been more involved in the finances.
0: You know, I think you're touching on something that I certainly see as well and um, and frankly, personally have felt was the, sh- the embarrassment to ask questions. If there are, th- you know, there's different types of assets, different types of, you know, holdings, even even language like liquidity. These can all be things that are really um, can be overwhelming for somebody who hasn't, you know, been in the world of, of helping to manage the the household finances. Where do you even start to help to kind of unpack some of that?
1: Well, it's um, it's first of all working to get the client comfortable, letting them know that they they would their financial advisor hiring myself, hiring you as a lawyer, uh, may need a mental health professional, having a team of advisors they trust to let them know, first of all, we're gonna have a team to help you go through this together and you're not alone. Reassuring them that we're gonna help them understand what's important to them. And we're gonna get to the bottom of this and we'll find a solution. And to your point of this terminology of what does liquidity mean, it means that, you know, we all know what cash in the bank is, our checking account is, maybe not these days for the millennials, but, you know, spendable money is, is money that you can spend and use for your living expenses, your mortgage, your groceries, your vacations, your cars, private school, uh, whatever it may be that's important to you. And liquidity means, do you have access to funds that are readily available today? Whereas we talked about maybe the real estate developer may have a lot of money in these investments, but they can't necessarily access cash to make it liquid and so you can live on it. And so we reassure the clients that we're going to help work together to find these solutions so that you can have access to funds. And, and, and my goal is when somebody comes in the office after the first meeting that they say, I feel better. I yeah. feel better since I've come here. And so that's really to get a goal to the other client's comfortable to let them know they're going to be okay. And we're going to help and- them figure this out.
0: And I always want to tell people, like, it's okay if you don't know. I mean, that's why we hire professionals. That's why yes. we have experts. It's because we don't have to know everything. You don't have to pretend like you know everything. If you if you need to call a timeout and ask questions and go over that again, you know, exactly how am I going to pay the bills? You know, when we have a balance sheet that may show, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, but there, but, but how, how am I actually going to pay my bill? You right. Know? Like, wh- wh- where's that going to come from? Um, you know, it's it's okay to ask questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. What um, What do you find... Um, well, no, let me just ask you, in your role as, as the financial advisor in divorce, how do you help people? Kind of walk us through the steps um, of how you help people prepare for life after divorce.
1: Well, it goes back to, let's understand what the, the resources are are for assets as well as potential liabilities. In a dream scenario, maybe you don't have any liabilities and you just have <laughs> assets. That's very rarely the case. Um, but how do you how do you find what this liquid bucket of money is or, or or the the time frame in which that money's become liquid? For example, you know, it might not be time for your retirement funds to be accessed because you're not 60 years old or 59 and a half. Um, we we stage the money in different places so that they have access to it really understanding what's important to our clients. What are their money values, their family values? How do they spend their time? How do they spend their money? And so preparing for after divorce, we've gone through this process and asked these soft questions during the process saying that you know, X amount of money is what you're going to receive at the end of this divorce, or it's going to be your portion, whatever that percentage division is. And it ends up being And you may have to make choices. You may not have to make choices, but if it's, you know, a client will often say, you know, I will rather have, you know, a nicer house than to, you know, be able to do frivolous things and go, you know, shopping for, you know, handbags or, you know, vacations. Although I encourage people to take vacations are very important. I love to travel and try to infuse that to people who are interested in travel as well. So we understand their values and we create a financial plan, Jennifer, And so, um, as we talk about maybe, and and this could be either spouse, it's more often than not, I would say, you know, 75 to 80% of the people do not have a budget that they know what it is on a spreadsheet when they come in, either spouse. And so, help them really understand. I have conversations with them. I can look at the electric bills. We can project the property taxes and the mortgage, but they talk to me about their lifestyle and we get a guesstimate of what we think that's going to cost. Because having a client create a spreadsheet for their expenses Talk about shutdown.
0: <laughs> shut down. They don't want to do it. No, exactly. And I, I think and there can be a whole lot of shame in that as well, especially yes. if people if money was something that was fought over in the marriage. Um, you know, you can be bringing all of those stories about money, you know, into your life. And I think this is a real opportunity to hit the reset button. Cause one of the that's right great benefits of divorce is you get to take over control and really begin to build, you know, and live life according to your values.
1: You just said that, control, be in control of your own financial destiny with your core values, hit the reset button and the shame that may be in, oh, spinning here. And just like a doctor, you've got to come clean with your doctor and tell me how it's been, where do you want to go and do a diagnostics, hit the reset button. Now we're going to move forward and figure out what your resources are for, for assets, liabilities. Income uh, earning ability, uh, potential inheritances, access to a trust. What are the potential resources? What are the expenses? And we help map a financial plan um, so that they know that their investments are going to earn X amount of money. Here's the other resources, and then they literally will. If they're if they're, if they're in disbursement mode or income mode now, which means that they are are um, in portfolio dependent and need to live off their their cash investments today. Um, that they pretty much know that this is the amount of money that comes into my account each month It's deposited as if it was a paycheck. And the goal is to get that client, um, living like that. I don't really like the word budget, but living within their means that we've established will work for them. And then knowing that they can do that and there's a system, I feel that really, uh, Creates comfort and it's designed by them and they're in complete control, um, as you referenced.
0: And it's not like then you know you're trading your spouse for a financial planner who's not going to be the boss of you. No, I mean that is it is really creating. And that's where I've seen the light bulb go off for somebody in my clients is when they really reconnect with some of the, the things they were passionate about before the marriage. You know, maybe it is travel. Maybe they had hobbies that they love to do, or you know, they have friends and family they haven't seen for a while. And suddenly, when they begin to construct their life around what important to them, you know, you just see this whole dramatic shift. But it's important to know that working with a financial planner doesn't mean you're, you know, you're handing over control to somebody else.
1: No, you're exactly right. And you bring a great point of I oftentimes hear my clients say that they now feel confident in themselves and they never thought they could do it because I always share with them this is their process, their plan. I teach, I educate, I support and advise, but it's ultimately their life, their decisions and the freedom that they have and the empowering that that does. um, It's remarkable to see how satisfying that is for, for many clients when they realize that they can do it. You know, they have not been necessarily historically financial savvy. You don't have to have savvy to be smart and just to to be confident that you're the one in control making these decisions, reconnecting in hobbies or friendships or activities is something that is, is really special to, to live life the way they want to. And the reset button, as you said, um, can be a real blessing.
0: It really can. And I, you know, I mean, so often we, we see people at, at the you know, one of the worst times in their life when they're just beginning the divorce process and you see them begin to kind of emerge and come out the other side. Yes. And go on do live an amazing life.
1: Yes. And, yes. and that
0: happens because they're supported by a team of people who, you know, can help support their dreams happening.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Um, you and I have had occasion to do collaborative cases together. We have. And so I did, wanna, I did want to talk to you a little bit about the role of a financial neutral um, in the collaborative divorce process. Maybe how that differs from when you're working as a financial advisor
1: for okay. just one party. Okay, sure. So uh, yes, we have had a handful or more of collaborative cases over the past decade plus. And the role of a financial neutral versus a financial advisor in a collaborative case is that they're really listening to what's important to each party. But the primary role at the beginning of the case is to gather the information from both parties, gather the financial information, gather the expenses, the credit cards, the tax returns, the investment statements, the mortgage balance, um, gather you know the company benefits book, gather the information, put it into a portal so it's accessible by both parties, and then help identify what is there and I need to understand it or the financial neutral that is working in the case needs to understand it and work through maybe teams of people in HR or the CFO of privately owned companies to understand it and get the attorneys to understand what the assets and liabilities are there, and then educate the clients on what assets and liabilities are there. Maybe one of the clients knows um, what it is. They're you know privately held business and they know and can explain some things. So really just gathering information, and being transparent, being transparent to, to kind of take down the walls of distrust and let them know that I'm here to bring out the information and share it so that it's to give them a comfort that everybody is on the same page, we're on equal turf and we're sharing the information to discuss what's there. And then we work as a team in usually a meeting, a six person meeting with each person's attorney, uh, a mental health professional, myself and the clients. And then we're talking about the mental health professionals talking about what's important to them. And it may be the kids. It may be remaining a a friendship with the spouse or cordial relationship to co-parent moving forward. And then it gets into the money and, you know, what are your fears? What are your goals? What are your interests? And so when we hear the clients do that, we we try to help them understand what's there and share all the information about what their financial needs are, what the resources are. We build you know a spreadsheet of the assets and liability, and then we work together to option build with each party and their lawyer, um, and share those options. Thinking this is you know kind of my option dream scenario number one and number two, and I work with that team in each of those uh, clients and their lawyers to help them build those options. And then we share them with the other party.
0: One of the things that I love about working with you and, and, you know, having the financial neutral is really having the point person to be able to ask questions. So, where my client might be a little embarrassed or shy or not know and not want to admit that in front of a whole team, you know, in working with you, you can kind of help draw out what those questions are and make sure we're getting questions answered. So people know and understand when it comes time to begin evaluating the
1: options that they you know, what they're choosing and how it's going to work for them. Absolutely. I think education is key, is is really, you know, taking down that fear and both sides usually have it, it, whatever it is. It may be fear of losing control, losing the relationship, understanding what is important to each party and really, you know, you kind of feel like a mediator in my role. You can absolutely feel tugged or like a parent with, with fighting kids because, you know, I'm not here to be manipulated to figure out, get each of you what you want. I will listen and then say, okay. And then that's when you have that team call and say, all right, I've got uh, some children that need to be under control. <laughs> and let's, let's get everybody back on target with the goals, objectives, and, and interest and, and help you know, adult and yeah. go through this process.
0: And it really is, you know, when, we're, when we're working at it in the collaborative process, we're able to really, you know, everybody brings their, their
1: problem solving skills to the table. And we're able to come up with really creative solutions that are unique for that family. Absolutely, and and whereas you know the next part of that is how does that differ from being an advocate where I may be hired by one spouse only versus working with the team and hired jointly is I'm then an advocate for my client and so. You know, good practice is always to be transparent and forthcoming with information that's necessary to be shared uh, versus non-disclosing information, but really advocating for what my client needs. And I'm going to push harder as an advocate than as a neutral. It's here's the information and how do we negotiate and get there. I'm going to be an advocate for my client and then um, go on to you know continue to work with them in the post-life, afterlife of saying their financial advisor and you know managing their investments with them and help. Them, um, you know, just make those decisions um, throughout their life.
0: Because that is one of the one of the things about collaboratives. You you don't get to continue on then as a financial advisor for either
1: party, right? that's that is the the general the general consensus because it could be perceived as a conflict that right. wait okay hold on if, if I, I do make- this <laughs> if i do this i'm going to i you know i've got you know the the, the money making spouse i want to work with them or whatever the perception is is, is the goal it, right. it 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 certainly happens and can be agreed upon but the, the general standard is that, you know, that you don't want the financial professional mental health to, to have certain roles beyond. Um, right.
0: But you don't so- you want them to have a vested interest in the outcome of the case. And, and really protecting that neutrality for the neutrals is really, it's important and a key feature, I think, that helps benefit clients. What, um, you know, what are some, maybe some unique situations where you've seen the collaborative divorce process really benefit people that you've
1: worked with? I think that the team is is really important. I think the team aspect that you've got, this team of people looking out for your family, your family now and the family you're going to have beyond is one of the key aspects is the the transparency and the team of support that you have to me um, are two of the strongest uh, aspects of collaborative yeah. to help people.
0: And it's not that your lawyer isn't an advocate because your lawyer, I, you know, we do, we still are advocating yes. for our clients. But I will tell you, you just you bring a whole different energy into the into the room when the goal is to solve
1: the problem and it's Mm -hmm. not to beat the other side up. Yes. And it's to, to try to hear what's important to each party and to get there together. And, yeah. really, and really, I think it's about that post-divorce relationship that most people have children and the smoother that they can I- interact with each other, with the, with the children around, and whether they're young children, adult children, it's just really important uh, to have that it minimize the conflict to the extent possible. Um, one thing I, I want to ask you is, you know, uh,
0: we're talking about people being embarrassed or kind of feeling shame. And I think sometimes people don't know, like, well, do I have enough money to hire a financial advisor? Does this make sense? What are some general guidelines that people should consider uh, when
1: determining whether or not it's time to hire a financial advisor? Well, I think that most people can't afford not to hire a financial advisor and that the embedded cost in a financial advisor it should be transparent. it is it is minimal. It is minimal to do it yourself because there's so many invented fees at you know, go to XYZ platform and then you're in their funds and they have these fees. The cost is minimal. I think what's important in deciding to, to have a financial advisor, make sure that you're a fit for that financial advisor's clientele. The financial advisor may have you know a minimum to meet. Make sure that you're in the range. Make sure that you're not at the bottom of that range necessarily or that you're going to get the attention that you need and understand you know, what services are you getting in addition to managing the money. Usually, financial advisors are paid unlike um, attorneys or CPAs during a divorce by the hour. They're paid based on a percentage of the assets under management or percentage of the net worth, whatever is agreed upon behind them, and the incremental value of, of avoiding mistakes they would might otherwise make is incredible by having financial advice and it's um it's just somebody that and the client can you, the client can decide what level of advice they want you know you go to a personal coach and you decide that you know for you know physical aspects how much training do you want i'll go to one but don't dig into what i'm eating i know what to eat <laughs> i know what not to to eat but but i just want you for this and so you got to see if what your needs are works with with what that financial advisor does and Do they step outside of, you know, what their traditional system may be? For example, it may be, hey, you know, I want to call you every time I want to buy a car or I want to buy a second home. I hope that people call me for those kinds (laughs) of things. Um, You know, every time you want to go to... Neiman Marcus or Lovers Lane, you don't need to call me. It's just, are you living within that that monthly amount that we decided worked within your, you know, financial future goals to keep you financially secure? So, um, most people can't afford once you have any kind of wealth not to. And if you go to an established financial advisor. There's going to be layers of people on teams that may work with the children. Like, for example, our team, we, we have advisors that work with my clients, children who are up and coming. They just got out of college and, you know, they're in the tech industry, they're making money. And so looking for somebody that is maybe has a team may, may benefit you more, or you may like the, the one man or woman shop. It really is just depending. And I say, go interview two or three people and and go with your intuition in terms of who is a fit for you, and see mm-hmm. if you connect. See if you connect with your attorney when you're shopping for an attorney. See if there's a connection, and and that um, you know you really just find trust in that person, and understand that you know, what they're going to do for you, and that you know you're not signing up for the rest of your life. It's it, here's, how, here's how here's how we work, and you know they've got to do a good job to keep you on as a client and see the value added that that you're providing. Absolutely.
0: And I, I think especially during times like this, when when things are rather volatile and there's you know, a lot of fear <laughs> out there in the market to have somebody who can really uh, hold your hand and guide you through that process um, is really helpful.
1: Absolutely. To keep people in their seats when it seems like the plane is about to crash. And yeah. so it's a bumpy ride and it's staying the course. And so really understanding the fears. It doesn't matter, you know, what whatever someone may say on the beginning of you know starting to it, 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 for many clients like let's say post divorce they've never even understood what you know a portfolio means and without getting into all of those details it, it's our role to understand what their level of experience is and expertise and put it together and at some point there has to be there's education there has to be trust in the process Absolutely. and so that really um, really being there for our clients um, in these. Uh, very turbulent times is is important, and you know. We're here to handhold and, and to listen to to them, their fears and concerns, and to reassure them that financial plan, that graph that shows you, hey, it, and this is baked into all of these things, is our Monte Carlo, 1,000 probability scenarios, and this is one of those downturns. We've already accounted for that in your plan and to rest assured, and it just helps feel so much better to go back to the plan. This was included in the plan. We knew that this was going to happen in its long term. So just to really help our clients stay in their seats when in turbulent times and reassure them. That it's not going to impact our long-term goals because it's already been accounted for. We know that the the ride isn't always smooth.
0: That, that's great. Um, you know what? You, you've worked with so many people, different walks of life, different different socioeconomic um, situations across the board. What message of hope do you have somebody for somebody today who's you know maybe just in that beginning stage and feeling the overwhelming fear?
1: I would say consult and hire a lawyer that you trust as soon as possible. Okay, get a team going as soon as possible and get the information out there as soon as possible and get educated as soon as possible. No decisions, no decisions, just get educated as soon as possible. If, if you do the homework and do that up front, the sooner we can provide peace and kind of say here's your here's your worst outcome. You're going to be okay. You're not going to be living on the streets and you're, you know, it, it's just going to be okay. We'll work together to make your life you know, to help you decide how to make your life, your financial picture look lovely and pick up those development and those interests. And you will be on the other side of this and your hand will be held along the way. And we can, your team can be there after you to whatever extent that you'd like to have your team here after this is all over.
0: Christy, I want to thank you for taking time to come and just sit with us, sit with me today and, and help provide some valuable insight into how a financial uh, advisor can really
1: help somebody in the
0: divorce process. Well, the
1: pleasure is mine. You're a class act attorney <laughs> to, to work with, so thank oh. you for having me.
0: Well, thank you, Christy. If you want to learn more about Christy Gamble, we're going to include a link to her website, um, so you can connect with her, and um, I, and I hope you'll follow up and you know schedule a meeting. Um, and we, of course, we hope that if you've enjoyed our podcast today, that you'll hit, hit subscribe um, and continue to follow us as we seek to provide valuable information. For people who are facing one of life's biggest
1: transitions, that being divorce. Thank you so much.